listening to Radio Free Hillsdale. My name is Megan Pidcock, and today we'll be talking to State Representative Andrew Fink about the latest political happenings within Michigan. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a while since we've had one of these. Yes, I know our Tuesday schedule is interrupted by the 4th of July, but it's good to be back. It is indeed. Uh, Since the last time we talked, I know the state budget has passed, which we talked a little bit about last time. Um, and it's bigger than it ever has been before. Could you tell me a bit about it and what your thoughts are now that it's out? Yeah, the the size of the budget is, you know, somewhat still inflated by um, by one time or limited federal money, um, as well as the well, the it is also affected by the inflation in the economy in general. Uh, which results, you know, in percentage increases, um, or or the same percentage draws in more money if uh, if purchasing power gets less for the sales tax and things like that. So uh, overall, it is the largest budget in our state's history. I was a strong opponent of the budget, among other reasons. It's um, uh, as I guess the cliche term is it's pork laden, but it genuinely is uh, an extremely uh, uh, an extremely porky budget in that uh, pretty much every member of the majority got millions of dollars into their districts without putting the projects through any sort of a you know comparative process to see which will benefit the state the most. Uh, so it it was a budget that had a number of different problems, um, and I was not in a I was not willing to support it. How do you think it will affect affect things going forward? Well, one one danger of it is that everybody knows that the state budget will be smaller next year. Um, this record budget, I mean, we would we probably would still, you know, even if, if nothing else happened except you hold everything constant with inflation, we would, you know, naturally have larger and larger budgets every year. Uh, but next year will be smaller than uh, this this current year because of the lack of the federal dollars. So uh, there will be. You know, there, there will be less spending, whether that's less work projects to go around or actual cuts to department budgets. Um, you know, the combination of those things remains to be seen. But we do know that there will be less, you know, less money available next year. So uh, in my view, what would have been wise would have been to not spend all the money this year to set aside a good portion of it. And we had a $9 billion surplus going into this budget. We have essentially, I mean, I, I think less than half a billion dollars uh, will be held over between this term or next this, this year and next year. So it, it was, in my view, a pretty irresponsible budget in a number of ways, including that we took our, our reserves down to near zero. Um, so sort of moving on, I know that Governor Whitmer has recently established the Michigan Department of Lifelong Education Advancement and Potential About Education. Can you tell me a bit about what that is and why it's different than the Michigan Department of Education? So, yeah, in all honesty, I didn't know it was going to happen before it happened, and I really haven't had a lot of time to try to understand where the governor is coming from on it. Um, Look, my sense on this is that this is something of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, our state does have serious uh, educational challenges. I don't think that a new department is – not only necessary, but probably productive. What would be productive would be a reimagination of uh, of the way our 
our schools uh, are, I guess, responsible to parents and um, the way in which our children are given opportunities to, to seek education that fits that child, fits that family, fits the, uh, the resources that, that the state has, uh, you know, and it fits, fits those resources, tailoring it to each individual child. So I, I don't have a lot of optimism, but I, I, I guess in, a, in the sense that I have not actually done a whole lot of, of reading about what the governor say, said about it herself, I guess I'll reserve judgment as to what her motivations were. Uh, but I, I will say I, I doubt that whatever they were will make me terribly optimistic about their success. Is there even a precedence for this sort of thing? Yeah, well, yeah, reorganization departments and whatnot is something that different governors do. Um, I, during Governor Granholm's tenure, she separated, um, or I'm sorry, she combined the departments of, uh, of the Department of Environmental Quality and the Department of, of Natural Resources and established the DNRE, so the Department of Natural Resources and the Environment, and Governor Snyder broke those two back apart, if I remember correctly, and we had the Department of Environmental Quality and the DNR as separate departments again. And then when Governor Whitmer uh, took over, she changed the Department of Environmental Quality to the Department of Energy, Great Lakes, and the Environment, which gets called EGLE. Uh, so fiddling with the departments is not um, unprecedented or unheard of, and, you know, in – in a certain sense, who cares what we call the department, how many there are, whatever, if if we're being flexible and things are, are getting fixed. But as I say, I don't think there's any reason to think that this, you know, moving around pieces or, or creating a new department to do work that's currently housed in, in a different department, um, I don't see why we would expect this to be particularly beneficial. I mean, there's nothing inherent in you know, the, the change here that, that makes me think we're going to be in better shape after uh, implementing it than we are today. Did you see the acronym for one of them was EVIL? Yeah, well, um, it's not exactly spelled. It's not spelled like like uh, EGLE flying, but that's how you're kind of supposed to say it, or sometimes people say DEGLE. But, yes, the Department of Energy, Great Lakes, and the Environment, so E-G-L-E. Oh, okay. So it gets called EGLE or DEGLE, you know, the Department of Great Lakes, uh, Energy, and Environment, or sometimes people say EGLE, which I don't think was in the branding um, but it does just kind of speak to how nobody really cares what the departments are named. We really care about what, what the state is doing with its resources and whether, whether we're managing them well. Why do you think she's come out with this now? Well, I mean, it's probably connected with the, I mean, her realization, and you know, this far I'll agree with her, her realization that our state is, is hemorrhaging young, talented people. You know, we, we are not a state that people are coming to. We're a state that people are leaving. Um, Having, I think I heard the, over the weekend that our literacy scores are like 34th in the country, which puts us, you know, right at the, the bottom of the middle third or the top of the bottom third of uh, of American states. Um, so it's true that we need we need a, a better K-12 educational environment in our state than we have. Um, so I think in, in a certain sense, she probably recognizes that we have a problem there. Uh, but as I say, the policy solutions, I mean, for instance, I advocated for and supported the student opportunity scholarships that we passed out of the legislature last term. That would have given um, most families in Michigan um, a, a certain amount of money. I think it was $500 per pupil um, that can be used for education uh, in, in any 
any way that made sense for that family. So it could be supplementary to their schooling. It could be a portion. They potentially could have used it for a portion of tuition or, you know, lessons or tutoring or potentially um, uh, transfer of ways in which a student's education could have been enhanced in a way that only the family really would understand, really would know ahead of time. Because what we what we see with, with I think, too many students in our state is that they're more or less stuck in one-size-fits-all environments. And I think that that contributes to the stagnation in our educational uh, achievements. So, you know, as I say, I think that the policy changes, there there are many uh, that are available. And if, if we were to just sit down and review a list of them, um, I guess the question would be, are any of these going to be something that this new department works on uh, and the current department is not working on? I just doubt that that's true. I think it's just re- relabeling, maybe hiring new or more people um, to come up with probably the same solutions that have not worked already. Uh, Speaking of Governor Whitmer, she's recently had quite a bit of press around her. Uh, Do you think that she's gearing up for a presidential run of some sort or something aligned, like akin to that? Yeah, I mean, my reaction to the state of the state address at the beginning of this year was that it was a presidential campaign kickoff speech. Now, I, I think that at the time, uh, she and others were probably hoping that President Biden was not going to run again. And I mean, I'm sorry to just play pundit here. It's not exactly my job. But, you know, as I kind of analyze the motivations for, for this, you know, important political actor in our state, that is something that I, I, um, I keep noticing, that, that she seems to be focused on national issues. She seems to be focused on national, uh, na- you know, national profile. And uh, I do think that it sometimes takes her eye off the ball in Michigan. Uh, but so, yes, I do think that she she very much wants to be president and uh, looks like she'll have to wait another cycle here. But that, I do think that's something she's going to try to do. How would that affect Michigan? Well, if it's after she's out of office, I don't know that it would be a terribly direct effect. I mean, we'd, we'd presumably well, we would have a new governor by 2027. So if she was running in 2028, I don't know if it would affect Michigan. I mean, there's certainly um, a theory that, you know, if the governor is from your state, then you can expect, uh, you know, to be treated particularly well in the federal budget, that kind of thing. So I suppose some people would argue that that would be good. But as a citizen of the United States, I wouldn't be very happy about it. I mean, it's not uh, it. The, the possibility of, you know, additional highway lanes getting widened in Michigan is not worth uh, the policies that have led Michigan to shrink two straight years under Governor Whitmer's leadership. So um, I think the effect on Michigan, because the effect on the country wouldn't be very good, I, I think the effect on Michigan wouldn't be very good. Uh, although I expect, some, again, some people would, would claim that it is because of the uh, of the potential for, for sort of favoritism, but um, that wouldn't move me. On a more local level, I know that uh, Senator Lindsay was recently nominated for a council, but Governor Whitmer is refusing to appoint him. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I think, as I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the governor has begun to publicly confront the problem that our state is shrinking uh, under her leadership. And so she has announced a... Uh, bipartisan Growing Michigan Together Council. And both the minority leader in the House and the minority leader in the Senate uh, were at, were directed, or I guess they're not exactly directed, but given the opportunity in the, in the executive order that the governor established this council by, 
to make a nomination of, uh, of someone to serve on the council. And Senate Minority Leader Eric Nesbitt, who's, a, I think, a 2001 Hillsdale College graduate, nominated Senator Jonathan Lindsay, who doesn't represent the city of Hillsdale, but he does represent a portion of Hillsdale County and lives in Hillsdale County and is therefore my constituent and much of my territory overlaps with him. And uh, the governor is evidently refusing to make the appointment, you know, following the nomination of Senator Lindsay, presumably because of perceived policy disagreements, which I just think is an unfortunately blinkered way for the governor to look at this. I mean, uh, Senator Lindsay might have different opinions from her, but he's a Yale uh, University graduate. Um, he's the father of three young children. He's come back to Michigan after serving the Army and having the opportunity to work practically anywhere in the world. And uh, he has a perspective that the council could benefit from. Um, and so the fact that the governor is um, letting policy disagreements keep her from, A, gaining a you know diverse viewpoint compared with many other members of the council who are kind of longtime political insiders, especially on the left, uh, but but B, the, the perspective of somebody working or living in the uh, in a border community like Hillsdale County, representing Branch Hillsdale, St. Joe uh, County, and, and all the way out to Lake Michigan, which is where we see the out migration in in higher numbers than other parts of the state, based on our policies being worse than Indiana and Ohio along certain dimensions, especially economic ones. Uh, I just think it's kind of a pathetic failure on the part of the governor to stick to her word of asking the, the Senate Minority Leader to make a nomination uh, and then follow through with the appointment and get that perspective on the council. So I put out a press release last week calling on the governor to uh, make the appointment of Senator Lindsay, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, especially if it's meant to be bipartisan, you'd think that she'd want multiple different perspectives. Um, one would one would think, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. I know that in sort of Michigan at large, uh, there are a couple Democrat representatives that are running for mayor in their respective areas. And if they win, that would mean that the House is even. Is that right? Yeah, if nothing else changes, if uh, if my two, yes, that's right, two of my Democratic colleagues are running for mayor in the cities they live in. And, uh, and if they were to win those elections in November, uh, then probably by the uh, end of the year, we would be at 54-54 in the House of Representatives. How would that affect uh, policy making going forward? Uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, the, the, the governor would probably, and it, it, it's up to the governor to call the special elections, and there has to be first a primary and then a, a general election for the special elections. Sometimes that can get organized in time to have those elections in March and May. Other times, May and August, and in extreme cases, August and November, in which case the replacements are only there for a few weeks before the end of the term anyway. Um, so that would kind of be the scramble. Um, you know, the conventional wisdom, Megan, is that the governor would want to get those scheduled as quickly as possible in order to, um, I, in her view, ideally fill those seats with Democrats and get the majority back. Uh, but for some period of time, we would probably mean uh, very little activity because the House would be divided 54-54. You would need 55 votes to advance legislation. And with 
only 54 votes in either caucus, it would mean that only the things that get sort of a lot of natural bipartisan support um, would would be likely to succeed during that period of time. Um, one of the things that Governor Whitmer, I think, signed today, actually, was um, the absentee voting laws uh, that were sort of presented in Proposal 2 uh, back in, I think, November. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how those will affect um, how elections work um, and what that means going forward? Well, uh, Megan, as I think you and I talked about before we came on yes. the air, I've been in, I've been in the air today uh, uh, at, a, at a family policy conference for state legislators out of town. So I haven't seen what she signed today. What I, what I can say is that I know some of the uh, some of the changes that the legislation, the, some of the legislation that that has gone through the chambers this this year. Again, I'm sorry to say I haven't seen which one she signed today, but um, are in general expansions of uh, what was adopted in the ballot initiative last year. Um, and I guess I have a couple of problems with that. The first is the people just voted on this stuff, and so we've got a pretty clear indication of where the people are and. Rather than simply implementing those things, but instead expanding them, seems to me to be a little bit of playing sort of fast and loose with the intention behind the uh, initiative process in the first place. Um, and then secondly, there are ways in which some of the electoral changes that the uh, that the legislature is trying to make this term, uh, there are some ways in which they wind up being unequally applied, even if on, on their face they don't sound like they would be a problem like that. Just an example would be, one of the bills, and again, I'm sorry, I don't know whether this is one she signed today, but I know it's one that's being that's going through the, the uh, channels, um, allows for up to 29 days of early voting. Proposal 2 required nine days of early voting uh, at, at, for every voter, but this would allow municipalities to do up to 29 days of it. The problem with that is that a small municipality like the city of Litchfield or um, – you know, Reading Township in Hillsdale County does not, they don't have the resources. They really don't even have a good way to pay for what is already required under Prop 2. Adding the 20 extra days of early voting there means that those cities that don't have the resources will not initiate the extra 20 days of early voting, whereas cities that have full-time clerical staff already will have no additional burden in implementing those changes. And what that will mean is there'll be more opportunity for you to vote uh, in some parts of the state than in others. And that kind of inequality is supposedly one of the problems that uh, this legislation and the ballot initiatives are trying to address. What we're going to wind up with are, are unequal opportunities to get to, to get to the polls, depending on where you live. That is uh, that, and, and the small towns are going to bear the burden of that. Is there anything else that people should be looking for in the next few weeks, month and into the future? As far as the legislature is concerned, no, uh, because I don't think there's going to be any sessions. So, you know, there's the old um, uh, sort of adage that at least nobody's making anything worse while the legislature's out of session. But, uh, but I would say that probably the places you live and the organizations you belong to and the resources you rely on uh, have been affected by the budget. I would I'd encourage everybody to kind of take a look at it. Uh, if, they're, if they're interested, and uh, be prepared for it to be very different next year. I mean, there might be, a, 
there, there might be significant changes uh, in, in many parts of the budget, depending, again, on kind of what, what the majority decides to do with it next year uh, in terms of how they're, how they're going to kind of go about making cuts. Um, and in the meantime, I think that the fall is probably going to pick up, the, the, the pace will pick up quite a bit in Lansing, uh, probably focused largely on labor issues, but uh, we'll see. All right, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pitcock, and I've been with uh, Representative Andrew Fink. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Megan. Once again, this has been Megan Pitcock talking with Representative Andrew Fink on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. If you want to re-listen to this interview or find other content like this, go to RadioFreeHillsdale.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Once again, this is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.